hey, are you trying to recover and maybe even fall pregnant naturally? I thought that might be you. And if so, we have created our best ever yet resource for you. Totally free. This is a masterclass. I've called it my masterclass because I have put everything into this, right? This masterclass is designed for you if you have HA or have had HA and are dealing with suboptimal cycles and you're serious about restoring those babies to full optimization and you want to create the ideal foundation for a pregnancy. This is going to be for you. So in this masterclass, I'm going to provide you a lot of things, including a lot of case studies, mine, Ashley's and Mishi's, as well as lots of our past clients and what their challenges were and what they had to do to overcome it. And we cover a really wide variety of types of cases of HA. So everything from primary amenorrhea and missing periods for years and years to short-term amenorrhea and what we did to handle that situation as well and how long it took these people to go from HA to pregnant with this system and how long it took them to go from HA to ovulating, of course, with this system. So lots of information, lots of case studies, lots of stats. We go through why this is not a weight gain plan and how we actually divide you into phases, the three phases of HA and determine what your starting point is so that you have a good idea of where you need to start with your actual changes and lifestyle and nutrition changes. We even cover questions like HA and people with a normal BMI and recovery for people who have had HA for too long. There's so much in this 60-minute masterclass. Y'all, I'm impressed. And at the end, I'll also be running you through how to get a free HTMA, hair tissue mineral analysis through us, which is a part of our process for recovery and preconception clients that we're happily going to give you for free 99 as a massive thank you, of course, for joining the masterclass. So go to the hasociety.com forward slash masterclass or head to our website and you'll find a link for it and find when the next available presentation is going to be. That's the hasociety.com forward slash masterclass. Hey, and welcome to the Hypothalamic Amenorrhea Podcast, an adulting advice podcast production. I'm Danny Sheriff, and this is the place to come if you care about getting your period regularly. This podcast aims to educate, inform, and keep you motivated on your period and HA recovery track. Let's dive in. Quick disclaimer, guys, I am not a doctor and this content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek the advice of your physician. Hey guys, welcome to this bonus episode of the HA podcast. I chose two questions for my DM this week, so I'm going to answer them. I chose these ones because I just, I've had my own experiences with them. I relate to them. I'm not a therapist or a doctor. So all of these are just strategies that helped me. And because of that, I'm just going to talk about my experiences in relation to these questions. And then you can take what interests you and leave what doesn't. So first of all, I want to mention that the HA Society is open today. That's why we're having a bonus episode at all in celebration of the first day of the HA Society. So the first 
community call for the society. So when members join, you can look at the events calendar and you'll see community calls on there. And you can basically join those when you're a member. So if you're listening to this podcast today, you can come. Head to the hasociety.com and join me and all of the other ladies on the call so we can chat all things HA. But of course, there's going to be regular community calls. So if you're listening later, I'm sure by the time you get into the membership, you will be able to join the next one in just a couple of days. Okay, Q&A time. If you want to submit a question or a podcast topic request, you can go to the, um, my Instagram at the HA podcast and shoot me a message. Question number one, Stacy asks, how to deal with social anxiety following a weight gain? I'm generally okay with accepting my new body, but get very triggered around my skinnier friends. Okay. I have super, super fit friends. They work out really intensely and they actually diet a lot. I can't comment on their hormonal health or anything, but nonetheless, I am surrounded by these people. So regardless of whether or not their lifestyle is working for them, I don't know. But either way, being around you know those people that can be hard, I have had to have constant self-dialogue about the fact that I have no idea what other people's personal health is like. Who knows? Who knows when the moment comes that they come to me asking for advice because they're having their own health issues. You don't have enough context about those people to make judgments about either you or them. Very occasionally do you have enough of that information, but you know, all of your friends, you just don't know. So the second thing is if self-comparison is causing you stress, it is okay to take time away from those friends. I know that that sounds dramatic, but it's true. You don't need that shit and you don't have to deal with it. Talk to your friends online, over the phone, etc. Personally, I've told my friends that their inability to relate to me is really hard. And we've had some interesting conversations about it that have also freed me a little from how I feel. And the added benefit from having those conversations and just getting them out there and like releasing that has been them becoming more aware of what I needed from them in terms of like support and basically the the kind of detrimental language that I need them to stay away from in our conversations. So like our girlfriends, they love talking shit about their own bodies and pointing out what they admire and like about other people's bodies. And you need them to know that that's not okay. It's not helpful. But I mean, that's just a different topic. So we shall not get sidetracked. But the reason for taking time away from people who might cause you to compare yourself isn't just to put a band-aid over the problem. It's giving you space to do the work that you need to do to get over this issue so you can rejoin them socially. I'm going to give you like an analogy for what it's worth. If you're learning to do a backflip, the only way you ever practice is straight up backflips on solid ground. If that's the way you do it, you're you'll never muster up the courage to even try the backflip. You'll be standing there. Your primal brain will keep your feet firmly on the ground. But if you practice backflips in a gymnasium with the right trained person on a trampoline and a foam pit at first, you get some simple fundamentals down pretty quick. 
Then you move on to the matted floor into the foam pit with someone, you know, spotting you through. And then maybe eventually you can do it by yourself on the on the floor into the foam pit. Then from the foam pit, you move over to the mat and maybe a spotter helps you like do a backflip on the mat, landing on the mat. And one day with enough courage and you know, enough of the of doing the work and the fundamentals and really easing yourself into it and giving yourself time to practice, rest, recover, practice again, you'll be able to walk into a public space and bust out a backflip and have everyone be in awe. And then people will come to you and ask, wow, how did you have the confidence to just do a backflip? Can you help me do that? So this podcast isn't about learning to do a backflip, but the analogy sticks. By taking time away from those who are causing you social anxiety, but doing the progressive work like therapy, self-talk, getting inside other groups and communities of like-minded women, going through the same thing as you, you're allowing yourself to grow that muscle. This is really important because I don't want you to just deal with social situations. I want you to thrive in social situations. So that's basically what what worked for me. Now, when I would have to enter into a situation because I can't just hide under a rock, although fortunately COVID-19 has made that easier, here's what I do, take and leave it, how you feel about it. But I deck myself out in the hardest gear. I'm talking buy myself something amazing and go get my hair done. When people, I mean, first of all, when you do this for yourself, you hold your head a little higher. And then when people see you oozing that kind of confidence and that sass, they think, they think, damn, here I am eating my lettuce and my chicken breast. And this girl over here is eating cake with big ass smile on her face and looking fly as fuck. What is my life? And I've experienced this from both sides as the one who lost the weight and the one who holds on to the weight. And the confidence that you can gain from making your experience work for you instead of just trying to enjoy this experience is game changing. I started the answer to that question with those two points because not because I feel like being thin is the ideal and we're all here dealing with the fact that we can't be. No. I started with that because I don't live under a rock and I know that change is progressive. You can't overnight realize that there is no value in being small. But now that I've gotten those kind of strategies out of the way, I do need to remind you, all of you, that your size has absolutely nothing to do with your worth or your friend's worth. And what you're doing is assigning worth and value to your friends. You are projecting that message onto them just by thinking that, whether or not you're saying it to them or not. You're you're solidifying that for everyone. And I just need you to remember all of the things, the time, the energy you could spend elsewhere, when you're able to remember that the whole like thin, small thing is just such bullshit. It's just such bullshit. You, like I, ah. <laughs> I feel so passionately that the the decision that being a th- 
you know, a, a super lean, super thin person, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but there's absolutely no, it's totally arbitrary that that was decided upon as the most valuable way to be. And you need to be one of the people that helps to take it back. And by pursuing that and by avoiding situations because of your size, you're imprinting that on your own future generations. You're telling other people that it's okay to stay at home until you look a certain way. The only way to change that is by stepping into your discomfort and going outside and going and showing the world your skin. When you tell yourself, I can't wear that, you know, I can't wear that crop top, I can't wear those shorts because (laughs) I don't even know why, I guess like you just feel like it just looks unpleasant. By doing that, you're reinforcing that thought process. By you not showing yourself, by you hiding yourself, you're telling me that I should hide myself. Is that really the message that you want to give to me and to everyone else? I don't think so. You want to be a part of change. So I just wanted to insert that answer in here. I just, I think it's important to not just focus on like ways to, to avoid, to feel better in these social situations, but also to note that your feelings and your thoughts around, around like the value of being smaller is arbitrary and to revisit why you think that and why you, why you believe that bizarre like rule or whatever. I don't even know (laughs) why you believe that. And to remember that by by doing your best to move past that and by being one of the brave ones, we'll say brave right now, you shouldn't have to be labeled as brave just for showing your skin, but by being one of those people who is brave enough to do something that's uncomfortable for them, regardless of what it is, you're, you're doing something good for the masses, you know. But by hiding yourself, you're not doing anyone anything. So that's my take on that question. but. I have another one. Don asks, how to convince myself to eat? I understand that I must eat way more, but I fall into restrictions from time to time. My girl, Don, I love you. Okay. We all fall into these restrictive patterns from time to time. So that is why I chose this question. There you are. You've had a massive dinner and dessert. You're so full and you're feeling a little proud because, well, HA, HA recovery. But also you feel a little anxious because fear of weight gain or bloating or whatever. The next day you wake up and the first thing you do is assess your food performance from the following day and therefore how you rate yourself today on a scale of fit and fab to fat and flab. Depending on your answer, you're way up how you should approach your restriction. Do I skip breakfast or do I just have like two smaller meals? Maybe I should take an extra walk today. I know I'm meant to be reducing exercise, but I ate so much yesterday that I probably have the calories in my system to handle a hit workout or a long run. I'm going out on a limb and assuming I'm not alone with that thought process. But if I am, that is fucking hilarious because that is just an insight into my brain. So, there you are in the shame spiral and on operation rectify the situation. For me, 
this became an opportunity. I started to frame this as an opportunity immediately. When this exact line of thinking happens, I needed to train myself to take action against it. Let's get back to an analogy for a second. When you train a dog, an infant, a hu yeah, an infant human, <laughs> a new skill, or even just like a new habit, you train using association. When you want to train a puppy to sit, you re- Hey, do you know what your blind spots are? As in, do you know what it is, what the thing is that is holding you back from getting your period back? Look, it could be an absolute plethora cornucopia of things, but in our practice, what we tend, the first place we tend to go is what behaviors and habits do you have around food that you may be still doing and these are called blind spots because we just don't necessarily always know that they're an unhelpful habit or that it's something that we're doing whether it be a subconscious or conscious need to control our food or our body or whether it be something that you've just done for so long that it feels normal and like a preference even we have created a checklist it's a three-page checklist that goes through food types, behaviors around food, and mindsets around food. And what you do is you go through the lists and you check off and you see which ones are you doing, whether it be daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and how are they potentially affecting your recovery today? So it's a really simple checklist. It's just three pages. You go through it. There's a very simple scoring system to help you figure out um, how much this may be impacting your recovery and it's just an insightful thing for you to do to help you reflect and then you can journal about it or you can learn more about it and just start really working at any of the boxes that you checked and understanding that they're playing a role in your recovery so to get the checklist all you have to do is go to the hasociety.com forward slash blind spot and we'll send it straight through to you you can print it off and you can check on it every now and then. I always recommend a reflection point every like four to six weeks. How are you going? Are you still checking that behavior off or have you, you know, systematically kicked it to the curb? So check it out. It's the hasociety.com forward slash blind spot and it will be waiting for you there. Reward them with a treat each time they successfully sit on command. Now, in adulthood, the dog just associates sitting with being a good thing, regardless of whether or not they get the treat. It's just automatic now. When you want a human, like a baby, to learn to use the toilet, well, actually, I don't have a kid, and so I have no idea how you actually do this, but I'm willing to bet that at some stage, they're associating going to the toilet with great success and comfortable hygiene. I'm sure there's cheering and excitement for all parties involved. I think I somewhat remember that. Yeah, I think there was like a chart, there was stars, there was like rewards for how many times in a row. So I'm pretty sure. Now, when you learn a new skill, for example, like the backflip and your body is starting to turn in the air, you learn to associate the moment that you actually see the ground as the time when you snap your legs around and land right where you're looking. So, I mean, I don't know if any of you guys know how to do backflip, but yeah, you sort of, you start turning and, and there's cues, visual cues sometimes that allow you to know where you are in space. And as soon as you see the floor, you know 
that you should be at a certain point in your flip, you should be at a certain distance from the floor and your feet land. Eventually, you don't even think about it. You flip, you find the floor and you react. It's all association. So can you find it inside of yourself to try and associate the moment that you're negotiating with yourself to restrict food with also the moment when you flip that thought off and you take a bite of food? Also, I do take plenty of time for reflection on this. And personally, I do have a therapist. I mostly answer my own questions with her. There's a lot of uh, how does that make you feel happening? But I journal my thoughts on it too. Like, dear diary, today I really want to restrict. But then I do follow with the logic that I know is true. I know that I shouldn't though because I'm trying to recover. The reality is that our brains are psycho fucking ex-girlfriends that will stalk their ex and the new wife and see literally no issue with it whatsoever. Our brains will go full Alanis Morissette and then some. I do love Alanis, but we all know she's like our inner crazy bitch. When you write this stuff down, it's way harder to be a weirdo. It's almost like saying it out loud in public or something, even though it's not. You're faced to look at your own words and then see them for what they are. I mean, really, like, how mortified would you be if someone could actually read your mind? No one should ever see what's in there because it makes no sense and you will look very, very strange. And that's just me trying to not say anything too controversial, but you will seem very strange. So go and talk it out, write it out, and start retraining the thought habits that you've created because you're crazy. Okay. Now I want to talk a bit about some thought processes that I've been having about the HA society. So Don, I hope that helps a little bit, answers your question, just at least makes you feel a little bit more sane. But like I said, talking things out really helps. So I actually wrote this um, like as an email earlier that I sent to the waitlist for the HA Society, but I really wanted to share it with you because it was a really great opportunity for me to articulate my own thoughts. So I'm hoping to get some feedback from you, like the listeners, on what you think because, I mean... I feel kind of crazy and I could really do with your validation to be perfectly honest with you. So here goes. The more time I spend building the platform for the HA Society, which is this like sick platform. I love this software. I'm building it. I'm honing in on the member experience, which I've also been totally nerding out about. So get ready for member experience. But I get more and more clarity in what makes this group so, so special. So at first, when I considered starting a group where women with HA are allowed to talk more openly about exercise, body weight, calorie intake, and the science of it all, I thought to myself, that is so controversial. Not many, if any, other groups allow that kind of open discussion because it can be triggering. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I'm being naive. Maybe I'm contributing to harm and holding people back from their recovery. I was really like nervous about it. So I sat on the idea for a long time. But the more I spoke to women and the more episodes of the HA podcast that I recorded with professionals and recovered women, I learned that I'm not alone. There is a group, a big group of women who want or who found it so, so helpful to hear all of the context of other women's stories. And without it, they stayed in a perpetual state of confusion about recovery. I mean, to know that women of a similar age, height, starting weight, etc., had to gain 
X pounds in order to get their period back, well, that information actually helped them. It didn't hinder them. Learning that other ladies who participated in the same sport, so like I was a weightlifter and all I could ever find was like case studies about runners and I wanted to talk to other weightlifters and when I found others finally who participated in the same sport and found out that they had to back off X days or entirely, that information was invaluable for me. When we're able to, to like find out the reality of these women's stories, the truth is what can actually set us free. The other fun finding was that there didn't seem to be some special type of woman who got their period back without putting in any hard work. This means that the conversations provided more clarity instead of this like harsh need for comparison and all this wondering. I'm sure that women who can recover effortlessly do exist out there. And I have kind of heard of them. I've had conversations randomly with someone who's like, oh yeah, I like didn't get a period for a couple months, but then I just sort of backed off my training a bit. And so I got my period back. And because it was kind of effortless for them, and literally all they did was like back off a couple workouts or eat another snack a day, they likely never dove in deep and became passionate about this subject. And so they never really shared their stories much. When you recover from a cold, you just move on. When you seem to be unable to ever recover from that cold, that is when you're going to start Googling and asking questions about it. So lastly, over time, I realized that As grown-ass adults, most of us do understand that somebody's, well, that everybody's body, sorry, is unique and our experiences in our bodies are all different. I, I mean, like, by hearing the stories of other women and witnessing how different we all are, this alone is helpful information to be able to let go of comparison. I think there's this misconception that if we all start finding out that we're all different, We're going to compare ourselves to someone that's really different to us. But I think logically, when we start realizing that we're all different, we can come more to peace with the fact that we're all different. It's like that's proof. But if we don't talk about it, we wonder if we're the only ones that are the way that we are. And maybe we are, but what does that mean? And it's all like there's just so many answers moving uh, missing in the whole HA world, I feel. Okay. What is the deal, I guess, with all of the secrecy around the numbers then? I mean, why do most groups and podcasts and stuff on the subject like avoid saying calorie goals and body weights and stuff like that? Well, because there really is a group of people that seeing those numbers and talking about trying to get your period back whilst Uh, doing some exercise, reduce exercise slowly. And those kinds of conversations are totally triggering for some people. That is so, so valid and is so important that those people have safe places to go and talk about recovery without being triggered. So I try to make it clear that my podcast and the HA Society is going to be a place where that's not really the case. So we try to warn people if we're going to say numbers and That's why the HA Society is a closed group so that people know that if you come in here, this is what you're going to see. Okay, but many women, maybe even you, might have a hard time taking taking the experiences of others with like a grain of salt and you might use 
you might have have a hard time using the conversations that others are having as like a helpful piece of information for you versus maybe you'll just see them as facts that determine your worth and your ability to recover. And if you're unable to take this information as just like information, then then you might have a rough time in some of the conversations that we're going to have in the HE society. So that's why I actually wanted to make this whole spiel on this podcast is because this is a warning for the HA society. There are people that it is not for. If you know that learning the details of what other women went through in their recovery, how much weight they had to gain, how long it took, you know, did they quit exercise or not? If they did, like what adjustments did they make? If that kind of conversation is actually triggering for you and you think it's not going to help you get your period back tomorrow because, I mean, why not? You know, this isn't the place for you. It's really a place for you to be curious. But if you know that this isn't going to work for you and you're not curious about HA and what's happening, and then it's probably not a place for you. And the other one is that if understanding what is actually happening to your body from a physiological standpoint is not going to be helpful for you right now, there are definitely people who, you know, who just need to recover without that. The HA society might not be a good fit. Like there are people who, like their goal Blinders on, I'm getting pregnant, I need my period, ASAP, no frills, let's go. And that is so valid. And the HA Society is definitely there for those people. But if they think it could be a detriment in any way to be talking to other people about their experiences, potentially like no group is a good fit, you know. If you feel like this is you, all good. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Now, it's a really important for me to note that recovery is still going to be the number one goal for the HA society. It is not, not a group where people who are still trying to diet hard and work out like full-time athletes can come continuing quote unquote, trying air quotes here, trying to recover their periods, fail, and then just complain about it. No, 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 no. If you come into this group, you're going to be very much supported to make massive lifestyle changes there. This is a place where people who are still trying to understand why a massive increase in calories is important and a massive reduction in exercise is beneficial. There will not be ladies in there doing hit workouts followed by a cup of bone broth claiming hashtag hormone balance. Look, to put it another way, okay, <clears throat> What if I told you that not everything in life had to be polarizing, black and white, from one extreme to the other? That there isn't necessarily a blanket recommendation for every woman out there, but there's definitely benefit in talking to each other. That by making key lifestyle changes and working with the right people, professionals, the right nutritionists, the right dietitians, the right exercise physiologists, you can get your period back. Those are my feels. I'm really, really excited about seeing you in the HA Society. I really feel like so many of the women listening are going to really resonate with everything I said. I think that my warning is really not towards the majority, but I'm so curious about your thoughts on that. Am I crazy? Is this something that you want? Is there something that's worrying you about it? I mean, just let me know. So guys, head over to thehasociety.com and join the conversations, events, the clubs, all of that stuff that's inside of the platform. 
And the first community call happens tonight. So if you're listening to this episode on the day release, head over now, sign up, and get the link to the Zoom meeting because we're going to touch base. We're going to chat. Okay. Have a good day. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could head to iTunes specifically and leave a rating or review, that would help so much because it makes it easier for other people with HA who are Googling around to find the podcast really easily. So if you do that, you're doing a service to all of the women.